be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning, dear friends, in Christ Jesus. And it is a beautiful morning, isn't it? And I hope that all of us are glad that we have the opportunity to be here in God's house and to worship our Lord. Today is the 19th Sunday after Trinity, and if you have looked at your calendar, you know that there are 26 Sundays after Trinity, so only seven more Sundays remain in the present church year. And the text that I just read for this Sunday tells about an incident that took place in Jerusalem when, oh, it was about October, about this month before the following April when Jesus died on the cross. We are told that Jesus was walking along with the twelve and they met a blind man. And this man had been blind from birth. He had never been able to see. And then it was that Jesus moistened some earth with his saliva and he took the mud and he put it on the eyes of this blind man and he told him to go to the pool of Siloam and to wash it off. And this man who was born blind went over to the pool of Siloam and he washed off that mud off of his eyes and lo and behold that man could see. And he went back home, and his neighbors saw him and said, Isn't this the blind beggar that we've known? And some said, It looks like him, but it doesn't look like him now. And he said, I am the blind beggar. And they said, What in the world happened to you? And he said, I don't know, but a man with the name of Jesus, he put mud on my eyes, and he told me to go to the pool of Siloam and told me to wash it off, and I did, and I can see. And again, the neighbors were so happy that they went and took him to the Pharisees and they told what had happened, but it happened that this miracle took place on the Sabbath day. And the Pharisees, the holier than thou, hated Jesus with a vengeance anyway. And they wouldn't accept the miracle and they wouldn't believe that this man had been blind. So they called his parents and they said to his parents, is this your son? And they said, yes. And they said, uh, was he born blind? And they said, yes. And they said, how is it that he can see? And the parents were frightened. They said, this is our son and we know he was born blind. How he can see, we don't know. He's of age, you ask him. And so again, they asked him then, and he said the same thing. A man by the name of Jesus put mud on my eyes, sent me over to the pool of Siloam, told me to wash, and I did, and I can see. And they called him again, and they again tried to discredit the miracle and said, uh, it couldn't have been this Jesus, because this was the Sabbath, and he broke the Sabbath, and therefore this man's an open sinner, and God doesn't hear anybody like this. But the former blind man said, I don't know. But he said, after all, this is the man that told me to put mud, put mud and told me to wash it off. And I know this, that I couldn't see, and now I do see. And he said, I can't imagine that, again, this man is such a terrible sinner because he is the one, this Jesus, who gave me my sight. And the result of it all was they threw him out of the synagogue. And then Jesus heard about it, and Jesus went and met that man. And he asked him a tremendous question, and this is the one we want to talk about this morning. He looked at this man who had been blind, and he said, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? Do you believe on the Son of God? And the former blind man said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said, You're looking at him right now, and again, he's talking to you. And then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped Jesus. It was a tremendous question that Jesus asked that blind man that day there in Jerusalem, right outside of the synagogue, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? Do you believe that I am the Son of God? And today, from the Word of God, Jesus asks you and me this same question, Do you believe that I am no less than the Son of God? Do you believe that I am God the Son? Do you believe that I am God himself? Do you believe that I am deity? 
do you believe in my godness? And Christ, in asking that question of you and me this morning, he is saying, believe it with all your heart. Hold on to this belief that I am no less than God the Son, that I am God himself, I am deity. Hold on to this belief. Hold fast to it and never let it go. And you and I may say to ourselves this morning, I wonder why. Why should I believe in the deity of Jesus Christ? Why should I hold fast to a belief that he was the Son of God, no less? That he was God's Son, the second person of the Trinity. That he was no less than God. Why should I hold fast to a belief in his Godness? We may say to ourselves, you hear a lot about the deity of Jesus Christ. After all, what's so important about holding a belief in his deity? Is that so terribly important? Is that an absolute must in my life? Is that an absolute essential? Is that something that is an absolute essence in my life that I must hold to it, that I must firmly believe? What is so important about a belief in the deity of Jesus Christ, that he was God? And when we say, after all, what difference does it make? Does it make any difference? Isn't this something that is rather trivial? Isn't this something that is rather inconsequential? That it's all right if you believe in his deity that he was no less than the Son of God? And that it's all right also if you don't believe that he was God the Son, if you don't believe in his deity, in his godness, is it really so terribly important? Jesus says to you and me this morning, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? Do you hold fast to my deity? Do you believe this, that I am no less than God? And Jesus calls to you and me to hold fast to this faith because he would assure us that it is tremendously important. It is so important that it's a matter of life and death in your life and mine that it means the difference between being saved and being lost. It means the difference between heaven and hell for you and me. It means the difference between spending eternity with God in heaven and spending eternity with Satan in hell. It's that important. And you may say to me this morning, is it really, is it that important that I believe and that I hold to a faith that Jesus is no less than God? Is it really that important, that that's an absolute must, that I've got to hold on to this thing through thick and thin, that it really means that, or isn't it rather of very little importance, that it doesn't make any difference? Let's look at it this morning. Jesus says to you and to me, dost thou believe on the Son of God? Do you believe that I am no less than God? And Jesus said, this is a matter of life and death. Your eternal destiny depends upon this. And we may say, is it really that important that I hold fast to a belief in his deity and his godness? Or was it that important to him? And in the first place, as regards importance, Jesus would assure you and me that it was only because he was no less than God himself, the second person of the Trinity, deity, that he was big enough to be our savior and to be the savior of the entire human race. You ever ask yourself the question, how could one man be the savior of the entire human race? How could one person be the substitute and to be the savior of every human being from the creation of Adam and Eve down to the last human being ever born of man or of woman? 
we say to ourselves, how many human beings will there have been on the face of the earth before the end? Oh, there anybody's guess, and we have been told that it's somewhere in the trillions now of human beings. And let's take a figure, an arbitrary figure, let's say there will have been 1,000 trillion human beings on the face of the earth from the time of Adam to the end of the world. You and I may say, Jefferson, how could one person, Jesus, be the savior of 1,000 trillion human beings. Now, if you and I say, well, he was a perfect man, granted, if he was born of the Virgin Mary, you and I say he was without sin, and we say, well, I believe that he was sinless, then he could have been the savior only of one other person. One human life is worth just another human life, and it would have been his mother, evidently. But how could one person have been the savior? How could he be big enough to be the savior of 1,000 trillion human beings? There's only one answer to that. It was of tremendous importance to him that he was no less than God. He was God himself, and because he was the uncreated God, because he was from everlasting to everlasting, the second person, he was of more value than 1,000 trillion human beings. If you put Jesus of Nazareth here and lined up 1,000 trillion human beings and asked God the Father who was of more value, it would be Jesus because he was God. It was that important, and therefore no wonder he says to you and me this morning, do you believe that I am no less than the Son of God? Do you believe that I am no less than God? And he says it's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of heaven and hell. It is that important. Why? Because it's only when you and I believe in his deity that you and I will turn to him as the Savior when we call out, how can I be saved? It's only then that we will turn to him because it's only then that we will believe that he was big enough to be our Savior and only then that we won't repudiate him. You show me a man that doesn't believe in the deity of Jesus Christ and I'll show you a man that in spite of the fact that his soul cries out for salvation who doesn't turn to Jesus Christ as Savior because he's not big enough. I'll show you a man who turns to himself and if some of us this morning have turned to ourselves to be our Savior, if we have said, if there's any saving to be done, I'm going to do it, may I say to you this morning that it's absolutely hopeless. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean, not one? All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Your eternal destiny and mine hang upon holding fast to a belief in the deity. Oh, not that we're saved because we believe in the deity of Christ. Many a man believes in his deity and he's going to be lost, but because it's important in this way that when your soul and mind says, what must I do to be saved? How can I be saved? Unless I see that he is big enough, that he was God and therefore big enough to be my Savior, I will never turn to him in faith. And that's why Jesus says to you and me, don't think it's just something in passing. When I ask you, dost thou believe in the Son of God? Do you believe in my deity? It is a matter, let me tell you, of your eternal destiny in mind. It means the difference between heaven and hell. It means the difference between an eternal life with God and an eternity with, again, Satan and hell. That's what it means. And when you and I have Jesus say to you, believe it. Hold fast to it and never let it out of your hand. Hold fast to my belief when we determine to do it. Then we ought to determine also this morning to continue to believe the scriptures which authenticate his deity even here in the miracle at the pool of Siloam. We talk about the deity of Jesus. How can anybody believe that this Jesus of Nazareth was no less than God who came out of the ivory palaces and became a human being? How can anybody believe in his deity? 
How about the scriptures? Oh, today I know men are turning to the scriptures and saying, he never said that he was deity. Well, what do you call this? When he stood before this former blind man and said, do you believe in the Son of God? Do you believe that I am God's Son? And when the blind man hadn't seen Jesus, he had just heard him speak and said, I don't know him. And Jesus says, you're talking to him. You're looking at him right now. Well, then Jesus was God, or he was the biggest liar that ever existed. He called himself God to this blind man. And when you and I look at the scriptures and we're saying, he sent him over to the pool of Siloam. And even the blind man said, when the Pharisees wouldn't believe that he was the Messiah, that he was God in human flesh, even the blind man said, how in the world can you say this man's nothing but an open sinner when since the world began you've never heard of anybody who has ever opened the side of the, or the eyes of the blind? You realize in the Old Testament there is no miracle of anyone having his sight restored. This is it. And the blind man said, you've never heard of this before, Pharisees, and the fact that he opened my eyes, that I've been born blind, that I can see. He, again, he couldn't be an open sinner. Is there any wonder that Jesus said, you're looking at him. You're looking at him, and I'm talking to you. When we can turn to the scriptures and when we believe what they say, the miracles of Jesus attest his deity. That's why Jesus said to the Pharisees, I've come for judgment that those that don't see might see and that those that see might become blind. When a man turns to the scriptures that are so clear on the deity of Christ and rejects it, Jesus says you're doing it only because you want to. You have no leg to stand on. My judgment is you become blinded because a man who is convinced that Jesus is not deity is a man that mutilates the word of God. But when you and I can say, I'm going to believe the scriptures, they absolutely authenticate his deity, then you and I have got comfort when, again, illness comes at our pool of Siloam. You say the blind man went to the pool of Siloam and he was healed. How many of us have gone to the pool of Siloam believing in Christ and we weren't healed? And we say to ourselves, is it because he is less than God? Because we believe in his deity, we've got this comfort. He always heals or he always does something better than healing. Isn't it the testimony in your life and mine that when he didn't heal, he did something better? We found ourselves growing in faith in him. We found ourselves loving him more than ever. We found how precious he really was. We learned what Christian patience was. We learned what a childlike trust means when we surrendered body and soul to him. There isn't any one of us but what, if we're honest, can say, because he is God. He always healed, or he always gave me something better. This is the comfort when we hold to his deity. Oh, I know today the deity of Jesus Christ is being laughed at. It's being ridiculed. But Jesus says, dost thou believe on the Son of God? Jesus says, hold fast to this belief that I am no less than God himself. I am no less than deity. 
hold it and believe it and never let it get away from you because Christ would assure you and me this isn't just something that's on the periphery. This isn't just something that it's a rather small thing. It's an inconsequential, trivial thing. Jesus says this is tremendously important. This is a matter of life and death. Jesus says... On this belief in my deity, again, it makes the difference between heaven and hell for you. The difference between an eternity with God in heaven or an eternity with Satan in hell. And you and I say, is it that desperately important? Well, his deity was that important to him too because in the second place he assures you and me that it was only because he was God, only because of his deity, that he was big enough to be our Savior to take your guilt and your punishment and my guilt and my punishment and the guilt and the punishment of the entire human race and to bear it in our stead. Have you ever asked yourself, how could one person on the cross bear the equal of an eternity in hell for you and for me and for the entire human race, 1,000 trillion human beings? Did you ever ask yourself that question? It was not because he was a perfect man. He was son of man. But it was because, in addition, he was son of God. He was big enough only because he was God. He was the uncreated second person of the Trinity. It was that desperately important to him, and that's why he went to the cross, and that's why he died, because he knew that he was God, and he knew that in that death he, as God, as deity, could bear for you and me the guilt and punishment of our sins. And therefore it's only when you and I hold fast and say, I believe that he was no less than the Son of God, I believe that he was no less than deity, it's only then that when a guilty conscience in your heart and mind cries out for help that we will ever turn to him as the Savior and repent of our sins and ask him for forgiveness and ask him to deliver us from eternal hell and to have the assurance that we get it from him. Otherwise, we'll never go. Oh, we're not saved because we believe in the deity of Jesus Christ, but believe you and me unless we do believe it. When your conscience and mind cries out and says, Oh, wretched man that I am, and we look at our sins and we see how hopeless it is to be our Savior, you and I will never turn to him unless we say, Well, he is God. He's bigger than my sins. And therefore, because he is God and he's that big, I will go to him and I will tell him I'm sorry. And I will ask him to forgive because as God, he died for my sins. That's why don't ever let anybody tell you that it's inconsequential whether you believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. Whenever any church, even the Lutheran church, gets to the place that it says it's inconsequential whether a man believes in the deity of Jesus Christ, it's got nothing to preach. I'll never stand in this pulpit again if the time would ever come that I fail to believe that Jesus was no less than God. There's nothing left because it makes the difference between heaven and hell. It's the difference between being saved and being lost because no man will ever turn to Jesus as Savior to take away a guilty conscience and damnation for his soul unless he can see that he was God and that he was big enough on the cross to bear it in his stead. And that's why today we ought to say to ourselves, I'm going to continue to believe the scriptures because they authenticate his deity. 
and most beautifully at the cross. Oh, if you want to see the deity of Jesus Christ, the, the, the scriptures are just chock full of it. Did you ever stand at the cross and just look for his deity? Men say, oh, there's nothing in the Bible to indicate that he was divine, that he was God's son. Nothing to indicate that he believed it, that he was God, that there was godness about him. When you stand at the cross and he prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Why to me he's got deity written all over him. Of those who nail him to the cross and his own people that hate him, Father, forgive them. There was a God-likeness, there was a Godness that you couldn't find anyplace else. When he said to the malefactor, today you're going to be with me in paradise, he must have been God to have told that thief, I'm going to take you to heaven with me. There was his mother in John the Apostle, and he said to her, Woman, behold thy son. Why did he call her woman instead of Mary or mother? He was saying to her, Mary, you are my mother, but now you are woman. I'm God. You're going to be saved only when you see me as God, not as your son. Did him when he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why did you forsake me? Again, with his heavenly God, his Father, there is deity. Why did you lay it on me? And in the wretchedness of suffering hell for you and me, he knew why, because he was big enough to be the world's sin bearer. There's deity if you're looking for it. I thirst God's Son. He came into the world for you and me and thirsted. There is deity when he cried, it is finished. There's deity when he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. I, your son, it's written all over if you're looking for it. But of course, if you say it isn't there, you can always explain it away. Then when he died again, that darkness in the sixth of the ninth hour and the veil in the temple was rent, the end of the Sabbath, it was the end of the offering of bulls and of goats and lambs, his deity, and many of the saints, when Jesus died, arose and came out of the sepulchers. They arose on Good Friday afternoon, and then they came out later after his resurrection. How about the resurrection of many on Good Friday afternoon? Some people forget that. You say, is there any deity at the cross? Oh, it's there if you're looking for it. But no man is more blind than the man that says, I see, and therefore I will not believe in his deity. When we stand today as a church and we talk about his deity, let's bear this in mind. Jesus says, dost thou believe on the Son of God? Jesus says, hold fast, it's a matter of life and death. This is a very, very important thing that you and I hold fast to. It meant so much to him. And when you and I can say, the scriptures attest and authenticate his deity, look what comfort we have when we've got a guilty conscience. I've had people come to me and say, I know Jesus is the Savior, but he's not big enough to be my Savior. I talked to a woman who took a gun and killed her husband one day, and she said to me, he couldn't be big enough to be my Savior, but I could say that he was God. And when he went to the cross, he died for the murder that you committed. He was big enough even for that. I don't care whether it's murder or what it is. I don't care whether it was delivered abortion because he was God. He's big enough, and let me tell you, that's comfort. There isn't any sin of which you and I could ever be capable of or ever guilty of. But what when you and I can say, I believe he was no less than God. Here is comfort because as God, those are the sins that nailed him to the cross. Your stinking sins and mine. But when we no longer believe that, there's no comfort. 
You say, is, is it really important, this deity, this godness of Jesus? It's desperately important because he also assures us that it was only because he was God that he was big enough by his death on the cross to merit a 100% righteousness for you and me to admit us to heaven and to earn it for all the human race, 1,000 trillion human beings. How could one person by his death on the cross earn a righteousness for 1,000 trillion human beings? Not merely because he was a man without sin, but he was God. He was big enough. He was of more value than the human race, and that's why it's tremendously important. It's a matter of life and death that you and I hold on to it because only then, when the soul starts to cry for heaven and for eternal rest, it's only then that you and I are going to turn to him because only then will we believe he's big enough to give you and me a 100% righteousness when we put our faith in him. Well, that saves us and gives us heaven. You show me a man that has denied the deity of Jesus Christ, and I'll show you a man that doesn't turn to him, and he doesn't ask him for a, an eternal 100% righteousness. And I'll show you a man that's lost, because whenever you and I despise his godness, everything's gone. It's that desperately important. Don't let anybody at any time ever tell you that he wasn't God. When the Lutheran Church loses that, it lost everything. Let's close up. Let's go home. It ought to mean this kind of human eyes. I'm going to hold to this deity. I believe that he was no less than God. He was God's son. He was no less than God himself, deity. I believe in his godness. Then we ought to say, I'm going to continue to believe the scriptures which authenticate that deity, especially in his resurrection. He arose from the dead. Was he God? Did any other human being ever raise himself? No greater miracle could God himself ever perform than what God the Son did when he raised himself from the dead. That's tops. You figure out one that's greater. And the fact that he appeared as the living Christ. Mary Magdalene saw him the blind man said, all I know is I couldn't see before, and now I see, and brother, you try and argue a man out of that. All I know, I was blind, and I can see. And Mary Magdalene would say, all I know is I saw him die, and I got a hold of his legs, and I know he's alive. What are you going to do about it? The women saw him, and Peter that afternoon, and the two men on the way to Emmaus, and that night behind the locked doors, the disciples and others, and the following Sunday night, and Thomas saw him said, My Lord and my God. And later on, when he was up on the Sea of Galilee and had breakfast with seven of them and reinstated Peter. Then on the mountaintop up in Galilee, when he had 500 in front of him and he appeared and he said, All power, all authority is given me in heaven and in earth. Go ye and make disciples of all nations. Is there anything clearer in the eternal word of God than the deity of Jesus Christ and then an appearance to his brother James and then on the ascension when he appeared to the eleven going up again on the Mount of Olives and they saw him go to heaven? Deity, how can you get away from it? Then when you and I say, I'm going to continue to hold fast to this, 
This is a matter of life and death. I can't lose this. He was God in human flesh. Then what comfort when we go to the pool of Siloam and death comes to a loved one. Oh, it was beautiful when the blind man went to the pool of Siloam. I stood at the pool of Siloam. You know, you relive some of these things. If you go to the Holy Land, you got a background. You know what happened. These places live, and you see more than just a lot of rock and a lot of dust and a lot of hot weather. And I thought as I stood at the pool of Siloam, a blind man, blind from birth, reaching in, I wonder what's going to happen, mud on his eyes and reaching in and feeling for the water and, and washing the mud. Oh, my God, I can see. I stood there. Sometimes, you know, you and I may stand there and believe him and we wash the mud off of our eyes and, and death comes. You got any comfort? You got any comfort then? Oh, yes, when he's God, something better. I had a very fine friend who was dying of cancer. He lived over 100 miles from Marion, but if he had a little radio, and if he held on to the back to a little wire on the radio... Our service came through, just one of those by the providence of God that he could hear. He'd hold on in his illness and he could hear the service. He sent for me one day. When I went there, he took his leg out from under the cover and said, I'm dying. And he was. I looked down, the skin had parted over the ankles and the bone, everything was cold black, gangrene through the legs. And he said to me, I've always loved the hymn. been the favorite of my life. There's a hymn, you know, that talks about the pools alone. And he said to me, if you're alive, will you preach my funeral and will you use the hymn? I wonder if some of you remembered by cool Siloam, Shady Rill. By cool Siloam, oh, the pools of Shady Rill, by its little brook. I stood there and, oh, you know, when you got, you got a Jesus who is God, you got some comfort. Oh, you know, we go to the pool of Siloam and... The hymn goes, by cool, Siloam, shady rill, how fair the lily grows. You know, we go there at times, and everything's just right in our life. The lily grows, and then we look over, and how sweet the breath beneath the hill of Sharon's dewy rose. There's Sharon's dewy rose, and there's the lily growing over. Everything's beautiful at the pool of Siloam. How sweet again the breath beneath the hill of Sharon's dewy rose, and then you go back sometime and you sing, Oh, by cool Siloam, shady rill, the lily must decay. You see, it, it's decayed. The, the rose that blooms beneath the hill must shortly fade away. You see, the flowers are fading. But oh, when we've got a God that is God himself, a Savior, we can... Go to Salome, Shady Rill, and we can say, but I, I believe that you're no less than God. Dependent on thy bounteous breath, we seek thy grace alone in childhood, manhood, and in death to keep us still thine own. It can be his own. You can sing on the glory road thy cool salon, shady rill, because he's no less than God. We can walk the glory road and we say, I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, 
begotten of the Father from eternity and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary is my Lord, who has redeemed me, a lost and condemned creature, purchased and won me from all sin, from death and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death, that I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, even as he is risen from the dead, lives and reigns to all eternity. This is most certainly true because by cool, salon, shady will, you and I can say, yes, Lord, I believe that you're no less than God. Hallelujah. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keeping unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.